Okay, so hi everybody. Welcome to the first edition of the Black Women Rising, the Untold Cancer Stories podcast. So I'm Leanne Perrot and I set up the Black Women Rising project in 2017, just shortly after I had been given the all clear from breast cancer, which I had at 30 years old. In my own sort of journey, like a lot of the stories that you're going to hear from my guests today, I was a fit and healthy dancer and fitness instructor. I had an active social life. Um, I had, was quite relatively healthy. And um, I was also just turned 30, so I was living the prime of my life. And my cancer diagnosis came also six months after my mum was diagnosed with cancer for the second time. And not only was I diagnosed with cancer, but I was also told a lot of other things that I hadn't really taken into consideration or even thought about. So there was things that were told to me, such as my fertility um, and the idea of the fact that I hadn't had children yet. And we don't know if the cancer was going to send me into an early menopause. I was also told about having a mastectomy, so removing my breast. But because of my family history and the fact that I was really, really young, there was talk about removing both of my breasts. Um, and I was also told that I had to go through chemotherapy and as somebody who had watched my mum go through um, chemo and alternative um, cancer treatment, I knew that chemo wasn't the only option. And so being told I had to have chemo when I knew that there were so many other options that were less harsh, it was a massive shock to me. And it also led to me feeling a sense of shame around my diagnosis and I was I remember one of the biggest things that really sent me into a, to, to shame was actually thinking how could my body fail me so young and I think that that's what <laughs> I, I, I say it now and it's so weird but I think it drove me into a moment of madness really because uh, you know for eight months I just went into a complete dark cloud and went into kind of robotic and to a robotic mode where it was just a hospital home and treatment. And that's all I did. And, and hardly anybody knew that I'd been diagnosed with cancer. I kept it strictly um, family and friends because I just didn't want to be judged for it. There was a massive sense of being ashamed behind it. And as I started to look at where that was coming from, and also some of the women that I started to meet on the ward, I started to realise actually that that sense of shame was something that was really really embedded in the black community and within the cancer world and as I started to come out of my journey and being given the all clear and I started to blog about my experiences as I started to share what I had been going through I was kind of bombarded with so many wonderful messages from women from our black community talking about going through the same thing there were stories about women that had been banished from their families because cancer was a, a curse for things they'd done in the past. Stuff like, you know, women being told not to take the drugs because they were ungodly. And women that were being told that they had to go to chemo, make sure for the sake of the kids and, and the family, put the wig on come home, get the dinner ready so that kids don't think that there's anything, you know, bad going on. And then we're expected to entertain their husbands at night. Women who weren't even being given a proper wig for the texture of our hair. You know, when you lose your hair through, through chemo, 
most of all women that were not allowed to be at family gatherings and things because they didn't want to upset everybody else. And there's, there was massive feeling of being quiet through diagnosis as well, having to be quiet and having to be silenced. And then the worst one I think for me was after the cancer treatment was over, being expected to get back to normal life, which as everybody knows, there's no normal after cancer, you know, you're navigating that new normal. So after hearing those stories, I, I just couldn't sit back and think, oh, okay, you know, let me get on with life. I knew that I had to do something. And this project and the movement of Black Women Rising was something that it evolved. It never was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. It started off as a, a support group of my mum making some cakes, me using a meeting room in my office block and um, inviting some of the women that had contacted me just for peer-to-peer -peer support and just some help. And from that group, so many different ideas came because the, the women that were coming with us, these wonderful women, we all connected and, and had an amazing bond. Um, from there, the idea of the exhibitions that we've managed to put on came because you know, literally I was talking to a photographer about taking pictures of my scars just before I had my um, double mastectomy. And, you know, when I saw the pictures and she brought them back, they were beautiful, you know, but also they made me cry because it was the first time I looked at my body in that way after having gone through so much. So it wasn't just the breasts I was looking at. I was looking at the whole body. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, you put on weight and you, you know, you can't, you have no abs anymore. And it was just like, ah, and the, when I got presented with them, I cried, not because I, <laughs> I looked awful, which I thought, no, I'm joking. I didn't think I looked awful, but they were so artistic. And I said, wow, people need to see this because people think it's not happening to them and we need to do this. And then the idea of the Black Women Rising exhibition was born from there. As a result, look at us now, two years later, we've had one very successful exhibition. We still continue our support group. We are working with the UK's national charities about improving the support for um, the BAME community, particularly women at that very first port of diagnosis. So checking breasts down to going into the consulting room and then even, you know, through treatment. And then most of all, aftermath as well so we're working with some wonderful charities at the moment and um, what's fantastic is we've been able to influence advertising campaigns when it comes to checking so where our, our visibility as a community is out more so that people understand that this deadly disease is on the rise and it isn't going anywhere and most of all it doesn't exclude yeah and I think you know it's quite a crazy time because obviously we're living through this kind of covid epidemic and i know it's a huge subject for everybody and i know we're going to talk about it a lot more today um in regards to that but it's something that even now we're looking at how it's affecting particularly our frontline workers from the BAME community and look at the death rates for people dying of the disease from our community i read something today actually at the time we recalled this, 62% of all NHS workers who have died with COVID-19 are members of ethnic minority groups. And when they looked at it, they were looking at why, and there's a lot of research going on as why. They said, um, number one, it's demography. So obviously majority of these workers live in London. And obviously that's where the virus has hit the most. So it could be that. It could be the fact that people and members of the BAME community isolate together. 
so then there's more exposure to the disease and then generally it comes down to obviously this britain has a you know a history a long history of health inequalities anyway so there's so many different reasons why but because of the work that we've done through black women rising it's crazy because i kind of see things a little bit different and i look at it from definitely that perspective but then i look at it about how much I understand how we're scared and fearful to go to hospitals when we feel or feel that there's something wrong with us. I know the fear that we have. I know that if we fear that there's something wrong with us, we'd rather go and seek alternative remedies and things like that. So there's a lot to be discussed, I think, here. Um, but those were quite shocking. And actually, it related back to a lot of our own work with the Black Women Rising Project and where we go from there. So that's my introduction really to me and um, one of the reasons why I've started this. The biggest reason I think what made me really really come up with the idea of doing this podcast is because this time next week we were meant to obviously start our Tate Gallery exhibition which was going to be a huge monumental time for us in the project and that was where our second exhibition was going to be but we're going to release this podcast um, and obviously just share our stories and, and, and build that anticipation, really. Build that anticipation for when we finally get the date, because it's definitely, definitely going to go ahead. But I think in the meantime, we can drip feed people with our stories um, and let people know why we're doing this and why this project is just so important. So over to my lovely guests that I've got today. I've got two friends joining me. Obviously, we're social distancing, so we can't be together, but they're here joining me. And these two girls are really, really close friends of mine. And we met, obviously, via the cancer community. But, you know, we've also become really, really good friends. And I think this is so important for me for this first episode, just to have two people on that I've just managed to create such a... I always like to say our friendships, my, both of my friendships with you both are... A, kind of unspoken we don't need to say much we kind of know what each other's feeling if we don't hear from each other we don't get mad or anything like that it's because we all know we're all going through shit <laughs> and it doesn't matter how far on from cancer we are we're all um you know we've all got our own things but we've got this kind of unspoken sisterhood and that's so important so really, you know, one of the biggest things today, which I'm going to be talking about with you too, and what I really wanted to have you guys on the, this first episode was to talk about having cancer under 35, because obviously it's huge. And we've obviously had conversations about the implications that that has. So we're going to get into it, but I want to introduce you both first. Okay, so my first guest is... Don't worry, I'm going to edit it. So I'll just, but I just need to make sure I've got all your no, because I've got the vital stat here and everything. You know. Actually, no, maybe I'll just leave this part in the podcast to let people know that this shit is just not like, <laughs> structured. Anyway, so my first guest is um, Chevelle Copeland Kelly, and she is 29 years old, and she was diagnosed at the age of 28 in 2019 with stage three triple negative breast cancer. And my second guest is Charlotte Crow, and she is 30 years old, and she was diagnosed at 17 years old in 2007 with stage three lymphoblastic lymphoma. Did I get it right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to come over to you, Chevelle. So please just tell us your story, um, a bit about your diagnosis, and yeah, just tell us your cancer story. 
Um, so I guess my cancer story probably started um, July of last year, July of 2019. And I say cancer story because that's literally what it's been. It's, it's a story really, isn't it? And I think for me, it came at a time where I was literally living my best life, as we all say, like literally I was having the time of my life. I felt like after years of just so much crap and so much like general shit that everyone goes through I was finally feeling like I was in a place where things was things was really doing going well for me and it just came as a big shock and I think what it was that kind of you don't think about cancer I found I found this lump one day just randomly I wasn't even doing the self-examination it was just a random I don't know it was just a random feel and I felt it and it felt literally like the size of a pea like a little green pea that's what it was and you I don't really think about cancer I didn't think about cancer and even you know having my grandmother pass away from it 2017 I still didn't think about cancer if that made sense and I mean my GP were good but then on the other hand they kind of make it seem oh it's not cancer don't worry about it you know, you even get referred to the hospital, the consultant that don't worry about it, it's not cancer. I'll just send you to do the tests just to prove that it's not cancer, basically. That's how it felt for me. And so going through all those stages, I was just none the wiser to cancer. I was just sitting there thinking, okay, it's, it's not cancer. And you know, you sit in the waiting room, you see all these women going in, some of them are probably getting diagnosed with it, but I'm still sitting there oblivious to any kind of cancer. And I think it was when... I had the biopsy done of it the radiologist he knew you know they look at you and they yeah. give you that look and it was when he said to me how long do you think it's been there and I said oh like maybe two weeks I'm just literally like so I'm trying to get to work because it's already been a long morning it's, it's I think I started at nine o'clock and it was now 11 o'clock I'm like, I just want to get to work and when he said do you how long do you think it's been there that's when my heart literally sank because I said I said two weeks he goes no I think it's been there longer than that I was like, oh, okay, then what does that mean? If, if you think it's long, been there longer than that, what does that mean? So um, I guess that's when my heart did start thinking, oh, what if it is cancer? But even then, still didn't think nothing. Went home. Um, they said they'll contact me within a week to come back for an appointment. And again, there was days where I thought, no, it can't be cancer because, like they said, cancer, it needs to run in your family. Um, you know, you're too young to have it. You're, you know, like almost, what is it, 25 years below the age of even being checked for it so it just wasn't a thing and I didn't know anyone who had breast cancer at my age um, so I mean the day of when I went to the hospital to get my results it was a thing of I was going to go by myself because again just wanted to go to work afterwards didn't think it was cancer but something said to me just ask your auntie to come with you so I asked my aunt who was actually on holiday to come with me and I just knew the nurse came out and you know they call your name Cheval Kelly and I thought, oh my gosh, this doesn't, this doesn't look right. Because all the other people that got called in, it was the consultant that came out. And the fact that I had a nurse, that alarmed me. Why do I have a nurse? And when I went in the room, I just remember sitting down and within like 30, not even 30 seconds, like literally five seconds, it was, we've tested the lump and it's cancerous. And I think at that point, you kind of stop and you think cancerous what does that mean does that mean cancer or does it mean that it's what like cancer what is he talking about and mm -hmm. I just remember my whole life literally flashed before me and the only thing that I thought was okay 
how am I going to plan my exit? That's, that's all I was thinking. I need to plan my exit because you know what? I'm going to die. Like I'm actually going to die and I'm not going to die. I knew the date that I was going to die. I said to myself, I'm going to die next week, Wednesday. So it was on Monday and I told myself I was going to die the next week, Wednesday. And that's my genuine thought. Mm -hmm. And it's that anxiety that is building up in your heart. And I thought, but I don't want to die from cancer, but I know I'm going to die, but I don't want to die. And it's, it, it came to a point where I was like, do I, can I, like how can I make this end quicker can I just end it because I'm gonna die anyway and so you have those casual thoughts of where it's not blatant suicide but it's the thoughts of how can I get out of this situation I don't want to actually have to go through all this um treatment chemotherapy you know that's another battle within itself is the chemotherapy so it's being told you've got cancer okay then it's being told you're going to go through a treatment that could possibly actually kill you as well yeah. You're going to sign your life away and you're going to say that you consent to possibly dying from this treatment. Mm -hmm. And I think those were some of the hardest um, realities. And like what you said, Leanne, with, um, you know, the fact that they don't really speak to you much about losing your fertility, all the other little, little side effects that mm -hmm. could possibly come about. It's just like, oh, cancer, we're going to cure you with chemotherapy. You'll be fine. Yeah. And then yeah. it's only as you start going through the treatment that you see oh that's a side effect the fact that after you go through the treatment your body's never the same no. your body is never the same you know all the little aches and pains the things that you never had wrong with you all of a sudden all of these things are wrong with you and and what I find is for me is that a lot of people around me don't understand that so you know it's, I say oh my bones are hurting oh, why are your bones hurting? You need to be active. You need to, I'm like, it's wow. not that. You know, you know when you just think like, you need to understand that your whole, your whole world, as you know it, after they yeah. tell you you've got cancer on that day just crashes. And I think for yeah. me, that was, yeah, that was like one of the hardest things was kind of just dealing with everything around it, knowing that my life was never going to be the same. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, from then on, it's a battle. And I think for me, and I say this every time I speak about my, um, you know, cancer diagnosis is that one thing for me was, was the Black Women Rising project. That, that project alone, mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew what you were doing when you started it, but <laughs> like, you, it, I don't know if you knew that you, you was going to touch people the way that you do when, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you did start it. And a lot of people in my family, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you found that. I'm so happy that you found that project because... I don't know. It, it was almost like a weight off their shoulders as well, because it was like, I wasn't looking for people who weren't going through what I was going through to help me deal with it. I now met people who had gone through it or who are going through it and we can all help each other. And so, um, yeah, that's just, I think that's the thing I, I say it, it literally saved me. Like it proper gave me that kind of mindset. That's like, I can do this. There's been so many women who have done it and, yeah, we're going to get through it together and we've got through it. And yeah, I think for me, it's just, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. that's so good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's exactly why it started because yeah, you're right. People don't understand. And yeah, like I said, there's an unspoken sisterhood in it of, of everything. We're going to talk about, because obviously you're quite far on now in your journey. Yeah. I mean, look at that lovely hair growing back. Wow. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Is it going back soft as well? Oh my gosh, it's so soft. If I put oil on it, it just literally wilts to nothing. It's like... I loved that stage when my hair was like that. Yeah. I look back on it now and I'm like, I might want to go and do it again and just dye it one crazy colour and just yeah. shake it off. But listen, I love it. It looks good. So we're going to talk about your journey afterwards. But I just love the fact that you said like the lack of understanding that how much cancer changes your life. 
it doesn't just change it for a small amount of time it you're never the same person again and so it so touched me when you said like even when you've said to people like oh my bones are aching I'm like oh come on be more active <laughs> it's like you want to tell people like fuck off because yeah. they just don't know what the difference is you know of what we have to go through and even mentally challenging do you know what I mean after being pumped with all those horrific drugs people don't know actually that takes years to come out of your system yeah. and in some cases you know mentally as well you know I don't know about you but I don't have a good memory you know and oh. Oh my gosh, don't even. <laughs> okay, so you're 10 years old, Charlotte, and you still don't have a good memory, so hey, you know. It's so bad, it's so bad. Well, gosh, look, for the rest of us, you know, but we'll come on to you, my girl, Charlotte, my special Charlotte, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Is this loud enough? Sorry, I'm just... Yeah, it is loud enough, it is good, yeah, perfect. Try and speak as close as you can, but go for it, darling. So, Charlotte, tell us, like, obviously, I know your story, but I love the world to hear your story. 10 years today, right? Yeah, I've been in room. <laughs> 10 years yeah. remission today, you know? Wow. Yeah. It all started in 2007. Around July, I found a lump under my arm. Pulled about the size of a golf ball. And I don't know where it come from. Because it was quite big. But it's like it came from nowhere. And I went to the doctor's. And they was like, oh, it's just your arm spray. So I went away, thought nothing more of it. But then I found these little nodules in my neck. So I thought, let me go back to the doctor. And he was quite concerned. So he sent me for a biopsy. And this was around end of November. So I got the biopsy, the client out. In my head, I was thinking, yep, that's it. Get on with my life. Nice. But um, I went to go get the results, sat down again. They had the nurse in there, like Chappelle said, and I was like, okay, this must be quite serious. And they told me I had lymphoblastic lymphoma. And I was like, hey, because of... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a long word, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a type of cancer that a lot of young people get. So um, first thing I thought was, I'm going to lose my hair because that was my knowledge of cancer, like what's hair loss. Mm. And then I remember I just got up and I went on about my days normal, like I hadn't even been told anything. And then I got a phone call later on to go to the hospital to be admitted. Um, so I went to the teenage cancer wards. And at first it was all, it was like I was in a hotel because the, the cancer was so nice because it was for like young people. But then the treatment started. And boy, it got rough. Yeah. So I was on a high dose of steroids, and that really messed with my mind. I had this other persona who I called Sharona. <laughs> with Corona. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. god! And it was just my. It was like I was trapped in my body, and she had taken over. I was having out of body experiences. I was having suicidal thoughts. I had a poor attempt at suicide. And it was just crazy. And then finally, they lowered the dose. And I was like, yay, this must be like a smooth ride from here on in. But then just two weeks before my 18th birthday, I had a chemotherapy drug and my body shut down. 
even the sweat of three to four hours, I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, and I couldn't swallow. And they didn't know whether I'd be able to walk or talk again. And from there, it was, I stopped chemo for a bit whilst they were taking me through physiotherapy because that become the main thing to work on. And then they put me back on the chemo and I was just doing hard physiotherapy for like a year. And I was able to walk a little bit and then I had a relapse. And because I got a viral infection and I had to learn to walk all over again. Then after about another year, um, I was doing a lot of holistic things and I was seeing an energy worker who does kinesiology mm -hmm. and she was looking at the drugs I was on and stuff and she was saying that the drug I was on was affecting me from being able to walk properly. So I confronted my consultant who already knew this and um, at that point I finished and stopped my treatment and decided to take a more holistic route. And in April 2010, I was told I was cancer free. Yeah. <laughs> from there, it's still been a journey. Like it's been 10 years, but I was left with so many long-term side effects that the journey, I feel like it's kind of just continued. It was like another, another opening. So it's been a mad one. Because obviously you're 10 years cancer-free, yeah, which is amazing. But what long-term effects do you have from what that chemo and what those drugs did to you? So, so let's tell everybody. Okay, so the first one, which is the most obvious one, is the one that affected my mobility. Because my mobility has not come back to 100%. I have balance and coordination issues because of the drug actually affected my cerebellum which is the same part that's affected when you drink alcohol so how you go off coordination when you drink or your speech goes slurred that's the part of my brain that was basically affected so my speech and my walking mm -hmm. and also the brain fog that you mentioned like memory still not great and um, I was suffering really badly with heart palpitations I think I've kind of worked out how to have it under wraps now, but um, that was a bad thing. What else? Oh, a vascular necrosis in both shoulders and both hips, which is where the bone is kind of like, uh, it's worn away a bit from lack of blood getting to the bone. That's from being on steroids for such a long time on a high dose. And they actually went to give me a double hip and shoulder replacement. But I opted against it. And through doing gym training and yoga, I was able to get my mobility back in those areas. And I think that's about it. But wow. I think that's it. Yeah. It's crazy. No matter how many times I've he heard your story, and obviously me and you travel a lot and do lots of talks together. And, you know, I've heard your story many times. I can sit and listen to your story a hundred times over. Same. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, and I see what happens when you talk and audiences just drop to the floor because they're like, what? And you still stay so graceful, um, so positive, you know, and I know you have your struggles because it's, yeah. you know, it's, you're human. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do sit there and I think, how the F... I can say it, innit? How the fuck? 
are you still here you know living as positively as you do and i know something we have also spoken about is the implications of cancer and how it's affected your life in so many aspects of a normal 30 year old woman yeah and so this is where I wanted you to because we've both spoke about all of this this is where I really wanted us to get down to the nitty-gritty really and be quite frank you know having cancer under 35 you know so I've prepared a few headings and I want you to tell me to shock call me and tell me how having cancer at the age that you are as well how has affected you in the following ways yeah yeah so and then what we'll do is you know we'll go to chevelle first and then we'll go charlotte second yeah yeah friends do you know what that's a tricky one (laughs) it's such a tricky one because it's like i didn't have a lot of friends anyway but it was crazy because i could see who like some of my friends who are told they were like listen we are going to get through this we will get through this and those ones when I say they've been there it's legit they've been there those those friends that are they're not even friends anymore they're like they're brothers and sisters in it you don't call them friends and then I had some people on the other hand who it's kind of like they would just check in to see if you're still alive you know them ones where it's like they don't even it's not really oh how are you it's kind of like are you, are you dead yet or are you dying or what like how how bad is it do you know what i mean that's that's literally how it felt for me yeah so i've got the ones that yeah really ride down and i've got the ones who are just they're just the profile stalkers just to see what's going on so you win, you win you win some and you lose some isn't it it's like you have to go through these situations i do think it was hard as well you know certain things like you're different to your friends now aren't you you're different you're kind of like you feel a bit isolated even though they don't make you feel isolated you are isolated you're not the same anymore and so I think that was one of my biggest challenges was kind of letting them know that as much as you want to say we it's it's me yeah yeah exactly yeah so yeah okay amazing so that's insightful Charlotte um oh boy where do I start okay (laughs) (laughs) so there was a people who I thought would be my rocks, my mm. right up days. And when it happened, when it come down to it, they were not. They're the ones who basically pissed off. Yeah. The ones who I thought may not be there. They really stepped up. And in that situation, I was holding so much anger for so long towards the people who I thought were going to be there to the point where I hear their name, I see them. My heart's palpitating. I feel sick. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, hang on a minute. This isn't even affecting them. It's affecting you. Yeah. I was like, you got to let that go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just had to get rid of them toxic people and welcome all the new beautiful people I've met through this journey. Yeah. I would say the same thing. Like I, I spent so long being angry at the people that weren't around. And obviously... I'm a very sociable person and that was one of the things I was really known for being the life and soul of the party and always around to have a drink and a laugh and it was so crazy the minute you stop drinking the minute you stop being able to give as much as you do the minute you're not able to advise people as much and be there at the end of the phone or party it was so funny how many friends I lost and obviously just having that at 30 I was so shocked I was just thinking 
hold on, I've just gone on this holiday, just had that party, just had this and that. And then look at the contrast. I found I had less than 10 people in my hand I could count on, you know, and particularly when, when shit hit the fan and the anxiety and the panic attacks were just a normal part of life. Um, and, uh, you know, the struggles were there. You know, I, I remember it was three people that stood up to the plate and said, I'm here, I'm not leaving your side and showed it. And um, there's some people I still don't talk to till this day. Um, and it showed me something. It showed me something about, you know, the term best friend and the fact that it's not about best friend. It's about just having friends mm -hmm. and anybody else that's not that is an associate. You know, anyone that's not a friend is an associate. But also it taught me the, the value of, of, of having just a small few people that you can rely on. And there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, it's a good thing because yeah. it causes less expectation and at least, you know, where you stand with people. So, okay, cool. Um, next one, men or women, depending on your <laughs> preferences. So, relationships. Tell me. That one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a tricky one. Do you know what it is? It's like, especially with, um, I'd say like for me, with breast cancer, remember, like your breasts are like meant to be your asset. Your breasts, yeah. your bum, those are like, yeah, what people, what men, I should say, because I'm into men. Yeah, not, yeah. Not, but in men. <laughs> that's what they're meant to love about you. Do you know what I mean? It's meant to be like, yeah, that's what they love. And for me, going through it, knowing that some like my breast is going to be modified in some way whether it be that I'm going to remove it and have another one put in or whether I'm going to have a chunk of it taken out it's going to look different and I think one of the hardest things is explaining to somebody who you you know may be intimate with or who you're close to even in that way that you even have cancer for exactly. one yeah. is a massive it's a massive thing and I think for me where like the person who I was seeing it was really it was really difficult to kind of break it down to this person because it was such a it was like a it's you know that kind of nonchalant like yeah okay I'm like okay I got cats okay and I got so angry because for me it was like are you I don't know what I wanted him to say but I wanted him to say something more than okay yeah do you, do you get what I mean I mean I don't know what I wanted I don't know what I wanted from him, but I wanted him to say something more. And I think for me, that was one of the most difficult things that I had ever gone through. And it was like battling with trying to make this person understand what I'm going through whilst going through what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got the moments where you're feeling emotional, where things are happening and you can't even call this person who mm -hmm. once you used to be so comfortable being intimate with. Mm -hmm. Now you don't even want to say to him, oh, um, guess what? I might be having my breasts removed because yes. how's he going to react? Mm -hmm. And in reality, if you're with somebody who, you know, you're scared of how they're going to react, you shouldn't really be around that person. But remember, mm -hmm. you've got years or whatever it is of emotions built up with this person. You don't want to be losing things. You, you've got cancer. You don't want to be letting go of things. You, you want everything to come back to you. So I think for me, that was definitely one of the most difficult things I ever had to go through was that whole relationship. And, mm -hmm. you know, even saying, I mean, I had my surgery, what was it now, a month, about a month ago, six weeks ago. And again, like nobody has, I mean, nobody apart from like my female friends or whatever has seen what my breast looks like because I've got two very different looking breasts. I've got one that is, you know, it's got all the gravity going on. And then I've got one that's a lot smaller 
and is literally up in the sky. So it's, yeah. and it looks very different. Although it looks good, it yeah. looks very different. Yeah. And that's another hard thing. How do I say to somebody who maybe I'm intimate with in the future, where, where do I say? And Leanne knows sometimes I'll message you random questions and say, yeah. what does this look like? Do you have your nipples? Do you have this? Do you, have, yeah. do you know what I mean? Because, because like, it's so random. And sometimes I'm like, does she think I'm weird? And I'm like, no, she doesn't think I'm weird. Like, it's just, I just want to know, like, how, how do you break, to, break it to someone? Oh, um, we're on our first date. Oh, by the way, babe, I've got, you know, I, I don't really have a nipple on this one. So if you're into that stuff, then, you know, maybe I'm not, how do you do it? That is so difficult. And you're not kind of taught these things, not that you need to be taught, but in the hospital, they don't tell you it's the mental mm-hmm. battle. I don't even know if I could right now take my, show anyone my breasts who I'm going to be in. I don't think I could. Um, I'll probably be like, no, I need to keep it on. I need to keep my bra on. Like, it's just because it's just, no, it looks good, but it looks mad. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's my take on it, to be honest with you. It's so different. I don't think, I think, I remember thinking the same way. And it was a point at the end of chemo where I felt really depressed. And I was thinking about, because I could see that, because I, I, towards the end of chemo, you do get to that point where you go, I'm going to beat this yeah. and I'm yeah. going to live some sort of life after. And I remember that was the one thing. And I was sitting in bed feeling sorry for myself, quite rightly so. I had no hair on my head, you know, the, the operation was pending um, and uh, I sat there and I was like, right, what do I say to a man that comes in my life? Because I was single and I was like, what do I say? I've got no breasts because obviously I had a bilateral, so I've got, got no breasts. Um, I, you know, might not be able to have children mm-hmm. and I've got no hair. What do you, what conversation do you start? with somebody how is it going to start what is that person going to say and then I remember saying to myself okay well you know I'm not going to have another relationship I'm not going to get into a relationship I remember saying that I said I don't want I don't want to have a relationship and you know what is so funny that's not how it works actually what happens is it's so organic um you know you meet people obviously I, I've met people since actually and what I would say now on, on a positive is, is that the, the transformation I've gone after cancer, which I know a lot of people don't get to, but majority of people that we speak to, you know, they have a, a transformation. So you have a better sense of self because of what we go through. We've got a bit more sense of confidence in us being good people. Yeah. So you're a bit more protective. So before cancer, I might have attracted a lot of people that weren't good for me because I was. I was dating some real losers. <laughs> and I don't care if they're listening to this right now. <laughs> I've dated some losers, some people that were no good for me. And, you know, many a times I got told, what the hell are you doing with that person? But I didn't have a lot of self confidence. Mm. You know what? I still struggle with that now, but it's better. And I have a bit more self belief. And I am a bit more picky about the people I choose to have in my life. And actually, that's going to be the same for you in your journey. And it's weird that you'll start to meet people who don't care about that. Yeah. And that is the truth. The people you meet, they're not going to care about that. You won't even let them in if the, if you get a bad vibe about anybody. I'm sure you're not even going to even be able to talk to them anyway. I think what that's I do now... Yeah. Sorry. What I, what I do now is like say like I've gone out somewhere and you know when you go out obviously my hair's growing back now but 
you know, you've got your bald head, you ain't got no eyebrows, but when you go out, you've got your makeup on and everything. Yeah. No one knows anything. And it's like, when a guy has approached me, I might have given them my number, but then as soon as we start talking, I find myself saying, yeah, I've got cancer. And I think that's my defense mechanism yeah. is I'll say that to hope he goes away. Like I don't, I don't really want to talk to you. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you straight away, I've got cancer. Mm. And it doesn't, it, they kind of kind of take to you a bit more like, and I'm yeah. Like, I know you do yeah. I've done it I remember saying to the first person I met I said you don't want to get involved with a girl like me because I've had cancer and uh, you know I've got you know problems with intimacy and everything else like that I remember saying it all and all that did was make him you know want yeah. me more which was quite weird because I was like I'm telling you all of this to, to basically tell you to fuck off do you know yeah, what I mean? exactly. because I was in that defense mode but actually the whole reverse happened you know, the, you you start to meet some amazing people. You you will meet people that might be yeah. like, okay, cool, I'm not dealing with that. But you will meet people that are a lot more genuine to the heart and soul, and and they won't care about that. Be patient with yourself and your own journey, because I don't know about you, but I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I actually need to spend some vital time for myself because the cancer put me to a place where I actually hit rock bottom. So it was about rebuilding me as Leanne first and foremost and get, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm still on that journey still till now, probably will be for life. But I did get to a point where I was like, right, I'm going to stay by myself for a little bit just so that I can try and rebuild mm -hmm. myself and my sense of self-assurance and confidence and then allow people to start coming into my life in that way. But it is frustrating, um, but I completely, totally relate to you. But yeah, it's just so weird to, 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 to meet guys that just don't really care about that. They don't, you know, what they want is you and they want you at your heart and your soul and your core and the, that you'll start to see where and people find the beauty. And that's why people, it is a, I know it sounds cheesy, but when they say to people, your beauty is in your heart and soul, it's the truth, yeah. you know, and you start to see people recognise that. Yeah. Charlotte, man. Okay. Because <laughs> I know... <laughs> Okay, so when um, I was on treatment, I was in a situation ship, yeah. and I remember he wanted to make it official, but I just kept thinking, why would you want to make it official? You know what I'm going through? Like, we don't know where this could go. Like, so I just kept putting up the blog, like, oh, no, no. <laughs> then afterwards, um, for me, a lot of it was to do with I saw my walk in, I heard my talk, and I just kept thinking, who is going to love me like this? And even when I did get in a few relationships, I used to self-sabotage because I kept thinking, I just would keep thinking, no, this can't be right. I was thinking, why? Like, why do they want me? I just couldn't get my head around it. Yeah. And I would just do so much self-sabotaging till now where it's got to the point where I've had to learn my worth and I've had to learn to self-love before anyone can love me. I have to love myself first. Otherwise, you will self-sabotage. And from that, it's made me be a lot more, I feel a lot more confident in what I want from a man as well. And when I do meet them, I do lay everything on the table as well. I'm like, okay. Let me tell my story. Yeah, let me just give you my book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, let them Google you. Let them Google you. Because I want you to know it all. I'm not hiding nothing. 
And if you can't love me for who I am, then you ain't right for me. And I've yep. got to just be accepting of that. But to be honest, I've never met someone who I've told them my story and they're pissed off. No. Literally, like you say, it draws them closer. Yeah. So, yeah. Raw cancer's been attracting the guys now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who would have thought? What's an appealing thing? You know, who would have thought that? Exactly. But thank you for sharing that as well. And it's true, you know, you do. And that is exactly what you said. It, it starts with self-love. And I think anybody that I speak to, particularly a lot of us that are quite open and, and honest with ourselves, because um, many people are not, and they don't get to this place in their cancer journey. Many people mm-hmm. went through it and then I've never seen them again because that's how they dealt with it. Things like this and being talking and open about it scares the hell out of them. Yeah. But when you are on an honest journey, that is the place you get to after cancer or during your cancer battle. You get to a point that you go, okay, I need to redress some shit here because I am, and that is the word to use, self-sabotaging. Yeah, I'm self-sabotaging everything because of how I feel about myself. And actually making that stand and turning up and saying, actually, cancer has robbed me of a lot of things, not just the physical, but mentally as well. Because I know that's what cancer done to me. I've had other stuff happen to me in the past, but cancer was really the catalyst for me to turn around and say, I need to sort some shit out before I continue this journey of life, you know? And it was definitely something that had to happen in terms of relationships. I was like, well, I do want a relationship and I want to be in a relationship. I want to get married. I want to have children eventually. So I need to look at the ways that I'm self-sabotaging that. And I need to address those issues before I invite someone else into my life. And unfortunately, do you know what? It's really weird, but a lot of people that haven't had cancer will relate to that too. Yeah. Self-love first. Yeah. And then people will love you. If you don't have that, the very, at the very basic level, have that, you won't attract anything good mm-hmm. and your relationships will be unhealthy and they will be toxic. Mm-hmm. It's just the rule of thumb. Okay, cool. So that's good. Relationships. Um, I've got two more. Your work. Mm, yeah. Work for me has always been a bit of a tricky one. I mean, I won't say where I work, but um, yeah, it's it. It was hard. I mean, I had issues with my work in the past with um with ver- various issues with work where they just wasn't very nice people to me for whatever reasons it was, and um. I think what, what what I found hard was, first of all, telling my manager that, okay, I've got breast cancer. So it's like, you go in and it's like, oh, can I talk to you about something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got breast cancer. And at that moment, remember, you're, you're already dealing with that raw emotion because you've only just, you found out probably a couple of days before. So you're going to now tell your manager and my manager's a, a male. So he's looking at me and he's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's that awkward, you know, it's that awkward, oh, oh, oh. And I think for me, I felt like I wanted to be at work. I said, okay, I'm going to go to work. Because, you know, in the beginning stages, you have so many appointments and you've got so much. Um, you don't know whether you're coming or going. Every day is a different scan. And I mean, work was, they were fine. And then I think it was afterwards, I just said, you know, what? I can't do this. Because it's that whole idea of balancing people because I work in HR is that idea of balancing people coming to you with these issues oh I didn't get paid properly or I didn't have this or I didn't have that and I'm thinking I don't really care 
Like, I actually don't care. Like, honest, honestly, I don't care. I've yeah. got cancer. You, you almost just want to, like, right, but I've got cancer. Do you think yeah. you give me a bit of a break? But I think that was probably one of the hardest things is, like, dealing with other issues that, to me, were, were minute. And I think before I had cancer, I was very much like, oh, I need to work. I need to work. I need to have a great career. I need to get so much money. I need to be the best. I need to da 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 And then actually after it, well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm getting at that end point of actually, I've, I've finished treatment. So I can say kind of after treatment. Um, for me, I realise it's not, I want to do something that I actually care about, that I actually like. What's the point of me basically killing myself for someone else and not being happy and still getting cancer anyway. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. And it's through um, meeting like so many people through the project. So like yourself, Leanne, when I look at you, I'm like, wow, this woman does stuff that she likes. She actually does stuff that she likes and she gets by and she looks good. She, I guess she's coping. Like even you, Charlotte, you do what you like. And that is, that's where I want to be. I want to do what I like. So I don't want to sit here thinking, oh, I need to, I need to get paid 50K. And, and we're so obsessed with that. We're so consumed with that. We don't, what's the point of getting 50, paid 50K? But then you're not even around to live to actually reap the benefits of your 50K. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So I think, yeah, that was hard for me. So I just said, work and wait. And I've just, I want to rebuild myself and find out what I want to do, who I want to be before kind of dealing with their issues. Because those things, I don't even care about it, to be honest with you don't care about anything you know when you don't care about anything you just literally wiped everything off your board as soon as they tell you you've got cancer it's like cool let me just wipe it off I don't really care what happened yesterday I don't care that I'm not talking to you I don't care about that I care I just care about me and the fact all it is is cancer that's all you see in your head is cancer and you don't want to get it again so in my head I'm like listen I don't want to come back I don't want to get it again so I need to limit everything that is a stressful factor in my life I need to do everything I can to not let this thing come back and if work is stressing me out I don't want to be around you like literally that's yeah that's that's me that is true (laughs) you know what I'm just sitting here like the proud big sister like (laughs) but it is because I don't know if it's something that because I know Charlotte's going to say she completely agrees as well, but I know it's mad, but I'm, I'm thinking now, rah, like, cancer is, like, literally, like, the textbook of life. Like, <laughs> you find out everything. Uh-huh. Like, it's the yeah. same. I'm, like, I have this thing where I'm, like, non-tolerable of bullshit. Like, someone will sit down and complain about the smallest things, and then I just go off. <laughs> I, or I exit the conversation and politely do it and say, unfortunately... I don't talk about these things so unfortunately I won't be participating in this conversation because we don't we, we, we we've experienced and it is a near-death experience mm. cancer is that yeah because for a long time you don't know until they tell you otherwise if you're going to survive or not mm-hmm. we're still yeah. sitting in here on borrowed time as far as I'm concerned yeah, you know and so really and truly the, you see things in a different way and you don't have time to listen to people chat shit you also don't have time to be stressed out because you know it's based on getting you getting through your journey is based on self-care at the highest importance so i totally totally hear where you're coming from charlotte okay so this one's a bit different because obviously i had never properly worked 
before I had cancer because I was studying music, but that was genuine. Yeah. going to be like the next big thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, you were actually, let's get this right. You were actually doing producing, right? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was producing. I was studying music technology. So that's what I was doing at the time I was diagnosed. And I actually finished a course online whilst I was ill. And then afterwards, after um, I was cancer-free, I couldn't go into a nine-to-five job. Mentally, physically, it wasn't going to work because after what I've been through, like, my body couldn't physically cope with the strains of a nine-to-five job. Mm-hmm. And I actually wanted to do it just to get an idea of what that kind of normality was like. Because I felt like such a misfit, because that's what everyone else was doing. And I just wanted to fit in. Yeah. But it didn't work. So it's just been a journey of having, like, my own little businesses and stuff. First of all, starting the music industry, doing music PR and stuff for reggae and dance artists. Mm -hmm. And then one day, I was like, look, I just went through all I went through. And... It just made me really think when you go through cancer, you get so much knowledge, yeah, before your time. Things that people would never even go through in their whole life. And that knowledge really made me think I have to do something that makes me happy mm-hmm. and something where I feel like I can give back and has purpose. Mm-hmm. And from writing the book, that kind of just molded my whole career because uh, people come to me for advice and stuff like that. So from there, I just jumped into holistic health and trying to help other people. Mm-hmm. And it's what makes me happy. So. And you're doing a fantastic job of it. I mean, what do you do now? You do body scanning? Yes, I do like biosurvey body scans, um, which reads people's energies. And it looks at people's emotions, their organ systems, different health things. And from there, I'll give them lifestyle tips and emotional work and stuff like that so that's been amazing 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 um and i think you're right chevelle in saying about like just in regards to and both of you actually in regards to doing something that gives you purpose and passion yeah because that is everything you know and you know I, i knew it before but I do think I'd got I'd lived a career that was always quite good, you know. And I'm not talking about money wise, I'm talking about success wise for me and my own expectations of success. I had done really well. But I I used to do really well, but I never really felt it, you know? I never really felt it. I never I never really felt like I was, I'm not going to say I wasn't doing enough, but there was never the enjoyment there. You know, it was quite an empty feeling. And on the outside, people look in and they go, oh my God, you do amazing and you're this and you're that. But if you're not feeling it, then it doesn't make sense. And what happened was after cancer, it made me, and go through taking that nice year off, made me look at where is my purpose? What am I going to do? Because I also like to be genuine and I like to be um, giving as well and I like to build communities and build um, stronger communities because I believe stronger communities make for better people Um, and obviously 
giving back to our own legacy and our own futures, and particularly those of young people. And so when this Black Women Rising project came up, again, it wasn't a purpose thing. It was an organic thing. And I think when you're thinking intentionally that way, the things that will come your way without you having to think, the things that will land on your lap, you know, if you believe in God or you believe in the universe or whatever. So even in, when all those things align together, mm. you will get your purpose. It will come to you and it will find you. And it's so funny because of the work that I do now in the cancer community. Um, and I'm sure you will agree, Charlotte, it's enhanced the other stuff that I have done before. And yeah. I get such a greater pleasure from what I do. And actually those things still, you know, continue to be successful. So for me, and, and it's never been about money money can't it comes and goes it was it was it's never been about money money's fantastic to make you comfortable but it doesn't define who you are it never defines who anybody is yeah. i mean anyone who thinks otherwise you know i i i no longer have that battle i just say good yeah. luck if you're going to think that way because boy when you're faced with something like cancer money don't mean a thing i just need to be happy mate like, i don't yeah. <laughs> okay so your purpose will definitely come and i think that's that's what I've seen. It's given me more purpose in my work and to get involved with things. Right. The last one I'm going to ask of is the most important out of it all. Self. What has it done for you, your journey as a person who's under 35? Chevelle, obviously you are 29 years old. Charlotte yeah. just turned 30. Say my age, my baby drops. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I, I'm 35 in a couple of months. Right. but you know what it's all good exactly it's good i'm trying to make sense of why it's all good but yeah <laughs> mate so yes um tell me self what has your journey done for self chevelle we're going to come to you first for me for self um so i've been on this cancer stuff now for about what is it 10 months or something like that mm -hmm. and I mean, I touched on a bit earlier that before I kind of was just going through a mode where, you know, when you're not really feeling yourself before cancer, I just wasn't really feeling myself as in, I just wasn't happy. I don't know. I mean, I know what it was, but it just could have been a catalog of things that I just wasn't happy with. And I think, like you said, I didn't have much, I wouldn't really say I had much confidence. Yeah, I would go and be, yeah, I'm confident. No, I, I wasn't. I didn't have much confidence in myself. Mm -hmm. It was always negative like always oh what's wrong with me oh look at this or oh, am I this am I crazy am I you know you kind of always doubting yourself never had anything positive to say about yourself um you know always kind of being your worst enemy like literally self-destruction that was my thing self-destruction and um I think going through this process process and through this journey it's made me realize that like you know what I mean I don't know how long I'm going to be here for or not in you know a downer not in a down way or whatever but it's true we don't know how long we're going to be here for but mm -hmm. i want to how do i put it i don't know what happens in the afterlife i don't know i don't know what happens and you know if we go into the afterlife and i want to say you know what i had a good time and i was a good person and i lived mm -hmm. the most happiest way that i could be for myself i don't want to live and dwell on things that i can't change mm -hmm. you know that was one thing for me was dwelling on things that happened to me three years ago oh, oh you did yeah. this to me oh you did that to me oh yeah. the reason why i'm sad today is because he did you know what mm -hmm. he did it or she did it and kind of just let that go and I think that's one thing for me is working on letting things go and releasing things because with me mm -hmm. I found out that having my cancer opened up a lot of 
like past traumas that I didn't know that I had. Well, I knew I had it, but I thought I could just put it in a box and leave it to the side, brush it under the carpet. But when you get cancer, it kind of just lifts up everything and says, this is wrong with you. That's wrong with you. Guess what? Your health is playing games now as well. And, you know, you kind of, you open up all these different, different, um, like boxes of things and you're like, okay, I need to deal with it. And I think one thing for me was like working on myself and getting to know who I am and trying to live in my own happiness. I don't want to look at anyone else to make me happy anymore. I make me happy. I work mm-hmm. on me. I become the best version of me. I do what I want when I want. Mm-hmm. And I think for me as well, where I've got um, a daughter, I always think like, God forbid anything was to happen to me before my time. I'd want her to look back and say, do you know what? I want to be like my mum because she was this and she was that. And not, oh, all my mum did was cry before she died. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, not, not to make it sound sad, but do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, the true reality is we don't know when our time is. That's that's the reality of everything that we've said here today is that we just don't know what's going to happen, but we, we want to live it to our fullest because we don't know what happens after we die either, do we? So, you know, yeah, that's, that's me really. Yeah. Amen, girl. Mm-hmm. You are speaking to my soul today. <laughs> that was, that was good. Love this. Love it. Yeah. Charlotte. For me, self, it's just been a whole new realization because I am nothing like the person who I was before who got diagnosed. Like she was angry, she was rude. She was trying to be a little hood girl. Yeah. <laughs> like you would never think it to see me and know me now. Mm-hmm. But it's made me really get to know who I really am mm-hmm. and appreciate and love who I really am. And it's made me learn to be so grateful and make every moment count because I was so ungrateful. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like I think that's one of the most important things, being grateful and making every moment count. Because like Chabelle said, we don't know when our, our day is going to come. We don't know. Mm-mm. And the best thing for me has been about learning the truth of who I really am and stop pretending or stop trying to live up to other people's expectations. Mm-hmm. Just be, just be me. And yeah, like I felt like a misfit for so long. You yeah. know what? It's always been a misfit because mm-hmm. I ain't trying to be no sheep. So it's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. I would say I totally agree. I've been honest and I tell people all the time, like, cancer just stripped me bare, man. You know, I had had a lot of issues from before. Obviously, those that know, I went through child sexual abuse, went through severe depression in my 20s. And when I got diagnosed, that was the year I was 30. And then I had released a book. So I was released, I released a book about my 30 years on this earth. And I honestly had told myself I was over it. And I remember just a couple of months before I got diagnosed, I went to Ibiza as I had done every year with a group of friends. Um, and I'd lost weight and I was looking good. And I remember going, man, this is it. This is now. 30s from here on out I'm I'm gonna settle down I'm gonna have my kids I'm happy make my money buy my house make knock 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 on the door life had other shit for me and it stripped me bare and I think that was part of the reason why I went into shock for eight months and no one knew that I had a diagnosis because I was in so much shock and what people don't know is that you're 
aftermath of when you get told after your counts are free, you've still got to try and get over that shock because that mm-hmm. shock don't go away. That shock gets suppressed while you just, you know, don't tunnel vision through the treatment. So I think for me, it stripped me back to basics and it took a while for it to get to that stage. I didn't have people like you guys to talk to. I didn't know any other people that were my age that had gone through cancer. So I didn't have nobody there in that respect. I had my mum, but she's double the age than me. And, um, you know, she's a completely different person than I am. And she deals with things in a very different way. And, and I felt very alone. But what I will say is, it has been the best and worst thing that's happened to me I'm such a different person yes you know gratitude has always been something that's been in my life for a very very long time but there is the gratitude every day has helped Uh, being honest about my feelings and being true if I have a bad day I have a bad day you know not being hard on myself um you know uh, and again like you guys have said stop thinking about what other people think of you you know just genuinely lifting up to society's expectations because you'll always be unhappy and that is where for me those are the things that I've definitely definitely learned another thing that I learned was that because of the things I've gone through particularly with the cancer and other stuff before um, I will be in therapy for life so I talk to a therapist once a week and we've been digging through some some real dirt, you know, things that I didn't even think were there. We're looking at self-sabotage. We're looking at low confidence. We're looking at the times in my life that, you know, I've been really, really stressed out and, and had unhealthy addictions to habits and behavior patterns. I'm looking at even us as the black community, our behavioral patterns from generational curses. You know, that's been something that's been so interesting in, in me in, in the last year. And I'm reading a lot of um, psychology books around being disrupted with trauma from, from young and how that plays out as you are an adult and you go through the different phases in life. Wow, maybe a new career, guys. I'm joking. I ain't doing any more, but I'm just saying, this is what it's come down to, the self. And so those are the things that I've really learned. And I think the biggest thing I've learned and you said it, Chevelle, earlier on, and I know me and you have said it, Charlotte, many times, is that no one can make you happy. You have to make yourself happy mm-hmm. first. No one's responsible for that. Whether you've got 10 kids and a husband who's wonderful, nobody can make you happy. You have to make mm-hmm. you happy and you can't put that onto somebody else. Yep. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned because I have lived a life of going from person to person. And I'm not just talking about relationships with men, but generally friendships, work, everything. Do you know what I mean? And gone and thought that these things and people would make me happy. And it comes down to me. I have that responsibility. And in knowing that simple fact, that helps me feel myself with the things I need hence why I do yoga, hence why I do my daily gratitude, hence why I know I have to stay away from alcohol, you know, um, and and things like that. Not all the time, but you know, (laughs) I have to be able to because I know those things are things that trigger me and make me feel bad about myself. And I know those things are the things that can help me create unhealthy habits and stuff like that. So these are the sense of self. Look at us though. We all become like, what? What? Who are we? <laughs> the free wise women. <laughs> Under 35, free wise women. It's so funny. I wanted to read this to you. Um, this was on, um, this is a wonderful cancer charity that um, we work with called Trekstock. And they've got like amazing podcast happening called Afterthoughts. They put up a, a little saying today 
and I wanted to say it to you guys because I felt like it was like prominent with everything that we've spoken about and it just says you know and it was talking about people this person particularly talked about friends but I think this is in general and it said I think when you get diagnosed there's a barrier that goes up between you and your friends and your peer group and it never really comes down I'm always going to feel a step away from my friends agree yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I've like kind of lived this kind of few years since treatment thinking I don't really relate to anyone you Mm -hmm. know and meeting you ladies really really changed that do you Mm. know what I mean um and and even like our our outtake on life I've gone through having conversations with people and people actually not understanding where I'm coming from and I found it really frustrated and frustrating and then I've turned around and gone Leanne they haven't gone through the life experiences you have gone through so you can't expect them to think any different and so that's made me have a lot of compassion not just on myself but for others as well because people haven't been what we've we've gone through so they're not going to necessarily understand where we come from um Mm -hmm. so we need to stop looking for um validation or even understanding in terms of what we're saying from people we need to make sure that we get that from within as well because i've had a few frustrating moments when i've turned around and said to people why are you doing this come on yeah Yeah. and people still don't care and i'm just like okay and then i've had to go do you know what this is a solo journey life is a solo journey yeah you know thank you ladies thank you no problem i've got some quick fire questions like really 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 quick okay where are you at with all of this covid19 stuff and how does it affect your life now do you know what yeah charlotte you said this on saturday like the world moving at the pace at my pace now that's what i feel like i feel like yes i can catch up with the rest of the world now so the whole thing nobody's going to work everyone's like me now so yeah i feel like do you know what the rest of the world can see what we had to deal with or what we deal with do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and i think that is key i think that's where it's like okay yeah it is it it, i don't know i don't i think i'm the opposite to a lot of people that i I don't think i have anxiety from it if i'm honest with you yeah it didn't it doesn't in the beginning maybe but now i don't i don't really have anxiety i kind of just stay in my house yeah i'll still be honest with you so yeah that's good you're embracing it yeah charlotte yeah for me i just feel so calm and it's more like wherever we'll be we'll be yeah and i'm okay with that mm-hmm. you can't really worry about the things that you can't control so True. yeah i'm just trying to just go with the flow that's my yeah. take on it it's so true i do think i am getting more worried the more i see a lot of statistics around the bame community um and how many people are dying um on the front line from yeah. this and obviously i'm in a borough where the highest we're in london first and foremost which has got the highest number of you know infections and fatalities but my borough is the largest borough of fatalities and infections as well in london so it is a bit worrying but at the same time i'm a bit like you guys as well um where you know i'm i'm it's it's not it's quite frustrating to a certain degree but at the same time it's a really weird place of familiarity we've been here before or we're currently going through it so it's like isolating is not a problem for me i've spent a lot of time by myself but it's it's still a really weird time and i think you know um 
it's affected a lot of people and I'm an empath anyway so it's just like if I see someone upset it upsets me and then yeah I need to I need to work on that all right what would be your top tip for getting through quarantine um for me I'd say listen like literally think about something that you've always wanted to do or you know plan your next move kind of you know a lot of us we're like oh I want to I want to start doing this or I want to start doing that but it's always oh I don't I don't have the time to do it now's Mm -hmm. the time just literally whether it be just get your plan out and just write down what it is that you want to do think about what you enjoy doing as well what do you actually like doing Mm -hmm. even if you just want to sit in front of Netflix all day and watch whatever you want to watch that is what you like doing just do it don't feel guilty for whatever you do literally that's yeah just do what you want in this time it's the perfect time for you to actually do nothing and you know not have to explain why you've done nothing so yeah exactly charlotte um mine is fresh air obviously not leaving your house if you got a if you live in a house go in your garden if you live in a flat go on your balcony if you have no balcony revert your window because <laughs> i spent like four weeks not going outside yeah and it nearly drove me batshit crazy. So <laughs> get some fresh air, even if it's out your window. Yeah. Good. That is true. Fresh air is really good. And I would just say to people, just use the time to be still. You're never going to get time like this again. Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people online forcing themselves to do this and be this and do everything and, and be everything and, you know, be this kind of like... A, time to launch all these businesses and projects and and it's fine if that's what you want to do and you know that was in the pipeline that's fine but don't feel the pressure to do that maybe use this time to just be yourself and be in your own thoughts Mm -hmm. you know it's a time of self-reflection which is always a good thing Um, it's a time with you know attempting to deal with some of the shit that's been going on Um, and I know a lot of people are going through that massive transition process and it worries me that you know, we're in this kind of social media world where so many people are capitalizing on pretending that everything's okay and right, you know, posting lies. And I, and I know that effect of what it has with our community, particularly our BAME community and the young people that we have in the community, as well as adults, but you know, my specialism is with young people and people feeling the need to be on it, on it, on it all the time. And, And that worries me because actually being still, being in your own thoughts, will bring you the most success that you'll ever want after all of this because you used your time wisely and you rested. Um, And I know I don't always take that my own advice myself, but yeah, I have been resting. And it's doing me really, really well. So um, yeah. So thank you, ladies. The last thing I'm going to say is if anybody wants to find out a bit more about your journey and stuff like that, because I know that both of you do blogging, please tell me where people can find you. Where can anybody find you? So we've got my Instagram, which is m-s-c-k-e-double-l-z miss kells and i've also got a blog the link is either you can either find my link in my instagram or you can just type in the three little birds dot co dot uk into google and it should come up yeah we'll make sure that we put it up as well charlotte um you've got about how many businesses and instagram (laughs) (laughs) even my website which is www.charlottecrown which is c-r-o-w-l Mm-hmm. com or my instagram yeah which is at charlotte crown c-r-o-w-l crown not crown 
Okay, amazing. I'll make sure that all goes up. Ladies, thank you so, so much. This was our first episode. Can you believe it? Woo! Cool. You think we we covered some good things, didn't we? No, we did. I think it's good. And I think it's a really good time for me to just start with some friends because you know what I think as the series goes on we're only doing a few for this first series but we're touching the subjects that really matter and these are the things that really really people ask about they ask you're under 35 you're considered young how is it going through and I think we've given people a a big insight of what it is for us but again anybody that's listening if they want to follow us and follow our journey um we are on Instagram it's at Black Women Rising UK we're currently working on our website which will be launching soon um and obviously we'll be working out what we're going to be doing with our fantastic exhibition we're working with the Tate Gallery and obviously we'll keep you posted on the new date so Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, ladies, for joining me on today's show. No problem.